Welcome to the Beastified Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. This is a show dedicated to inspiring you to treat your body and mind the way it should be treated. Each week we delve into all things health with some of the brightest and most forward-thinking, out-of-the-box minds in health, consciousness, mindset and spirituality. Deep and often intense, these conversations are released every Wednesday and are designed to inspire, educate, motivate and encourage you to discover, uncover and unlock and unleash your potential. In this episode of the Beastified podcast, we are joined by Michael Saunders. We have a great episode lined up for you today, and this is just part one, of which will be a part of multi-episodes. So today's guest is Michael Saunders. Michael is committed to fostering human connection and improving the world. Michael is also a passionate traveller, athlete, mover, meditator, and burning man participant. In this episode, we really delve deep into ayahuasca, which is also known as the vine of the soul. Ayahuasca has been a part of ancient civilizations for thousands of years. In this episode, Michael talks about how ayahuasca showed him aspects of reality that he was previously unaware of and inspired him to fulfill a lifelong desire to write a book. The plant medicine deepened his bond with nature and led him to become a partner and vice president in a renewable energy startup called Sun Moon Energy. Their mission is to involve humanity onto clean energy and heal our planet. So this show is going to be spread out over two episodes. So hopefully you enjoy this episode and listen out for part two, which will be coming out soon. So Michael, how are you feeling today, my friend? I'm feeling wonderful. How are you guys feeling? Yeah, we're really good. Well, Mike, Michael, I would just like to say welcome to the Beastified Podcast. It's so cool to have you here today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Michael, I think a good way to kick this off would be, for the person who doesn't know what ayahuasca is, could you give a quick brief overview, please? Sure. Uh, so ayahuasca is a vine that grows in the Amazon rainforest, and the uh, Peruvian shamans around the Amazonian basin have been brewing uh, the vine into a plant medicine, a hallucinogenic or psychedelic uh, beverage for the past 10,000 years to treat anything ranging from depression to cancer or to simply facilitate the exploration of consciousness. And uh, a lot of Westerners actually refer to ayahuasca as 30 years worth of psychotherapy in a cup. <laughs> wow. I think it's just it's amazing some of the transformations of people after ayahuasca. It's just like a pure awakening, a total shift in their body and soul, in a way like a total consciousness shift, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Myself included. Mm-hmm. I think as well sometimes people forget about that ayahuasca isn't like something new. It's like an ancient practice that people's been using for like a very long time. And for me, I think that people like are quick to dismiss like the infant methodology that's behind it. But like in my opinion as well, like they were the ones that were right all along, and like they've been so connected, and it's something that we're just starting to realize now. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, the shift in consciousness that's occurring is uh, largely about remembering where we come from, um, both in a planetary sense and a cosmic sense, to recognize like what truly helps us uh, on this planet. I think many of us have felt in the Western world, you know, disconnected. 
Um, but things like plant medicines really uh, tap you back into your both your biological and your cosmic essence. Mm-hmm. Michael, what made you search out for ayahuasca and how did you discover it? Um, so back at the sometime in early 2012, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast where during which he and Aubrey Marcus were talking about uh, this strange psychedelic beverage that Aubrey had drank down in the Amazon jungle. And um, just hearing their descriptions, you know, like Aubrey was explaining how he was having an out-of-body experience, how he cured uh, a swollen gland issue that he had been dealing with his entire life, how he was accessing different dimensions and communicating with uh, entities that existed there. And I mean, all of it uh, sounded a little unbelievable, but the way in which Aubrey was describing himself suggested to me that he was telling the truth, like he sounded authentic. And um, so... I always having considered myself an explorer, both of, you know, the third dimension and traveling and of consciousness, I knew that at some point I was going to drink ayahuasca. I, uh, I just didn't know when. And then it was at the, um, towards the start of 2013, I was actually going through some extreme fatigue whereby I had no energy, no vigor for life, uh, no libido, which absolutely sucked. And uh, basically I was working as the vice president of an advertising agency. I was also the co-founder of a startup in, in the gaming or gambling industry. And, uh, and I was training athletically and intensely about 14 times per week and just never uh, giving myself any relaxation or not, not meditating ever. Um, and uh, yeah, so I sort of drove myself into a deep, dark hole where I had resolved that I was going to put a bullet in my brain if I couldn't overcome this uh, darkness over the course of two years. And so at that time, I decided I was going to consult with a naturopath who turned me on to, uh, who who turned me on to a daily meditation practice, which was instrumental in my recovery and also got me to focus on play Um, because I'm super interested in movement of all sorts. So like acrobatics, gymnastics, strength training, hand balancing, parkour, squash, dance is my favorite, and, um, and just a variety of other movement activities. And I had become uh, obsessed with them. Like, as I mentioned, I was training 14 times per week, and it had become this obsessive regimen as opposed to something I was enjoying. So the naturopath got me to focus more on play. And so over the next uh, four or five months, I, I started feeling like myself again, and I started feeling great. And then I went to Burning Man, um, in August of 2013, which um, I'm actually working on my next book where I will be largely diving into Burning Man. But um, that in and of itself was a, a radically transformative experience. And upon return from Burning Man, my best friend Sid, who I had gone there with, asked me, he's like, Mike, what are you doing for New Year's this year? And it was only September, so I had no idea. And um, He's like, I, I want to do something different. Uh, I don't just want to go to a, a house party and drink. I'm like, well, me neither. What do you have in mind? And he suggested, well, he said, uh, my friend Dan has been running these expeditions throughout South America for the last five years with the last year focused around the um, plant medicine tradition of ayahuasca. And he asked me if I had heard of it. And I'm like, yes, man. Well, I don't care what the details are. I'm in. So uh, that's when I decided that I would trek down to the Amazon jungle and partake in my ayahuasca ceremonies. Wow. Uh, when you mentioned as well about your play and movement sessions, I actually wanted to mention as well because when I came across your Instagram uh, profile, 
I actually loved how you were incorporating dance and movement as well. It was fantastic. And I actually, the same night, I actually went, I went home and put, played some music and actually done the same thing like you were doing. It was amazing. <laughs> nice, man. I'm happy to hear that. brilliant. Yeah, so it definitely doesn't sound like you were just searching for ayahuasca, but it sounds like you were searching just for who you are. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Mm. Uh, I would I would love to talk to you about your mindset leading up to your first ayahuasca practice, Michael, if that's okay. And yeah. How did you feel? Were you nervous at all before, beforehand? Um, no, I was, I was really excited. And to be honest, when I first committed to going on the trip, I didn't fully understand what ayahuasca is. I mean, you can't understand it until you drink it. And even then your understanding is only, um, you only have so much understanding of it, but I was sort of perceiving it as a more of a recreational experience. So I thought it was just going to be like LSD or mushrooms on, I knew it would be on a different level, but I wasn't taking it uh, any more seriously than I would those substances. And, um, but I, I quickly, once arriving down there and, you know, the weeks leading up to it, I really realized, okay, like there's a particular ayahuasca diet that you have to follow. And um, there's this uh, suggestion that the shamans have of setting an intention going into your ceremony. Um, So, I mean, I wasn't nervous. I was incredibly excited. And the more time that I spent in the jungle and down in Peru, because I I trekked through the jungle for about seven days prior to having the ceremonies. And the more time I spent down there, the the more grounded I became, the more connected I felt with nature, and the more excited I became, and the more I recognized that I was embarking on a rite of passage. Um, mm. So, And I've been practicing, um, by that point, a daily meditation practice for about uh, 10 months. It's now been over two and a half years that I've been meditating daily. So um, I, I was feeling really good, and I mean, my movement practice was on point, my nutrition was on point so I was I was very excited heading into the ayahuasca experience well it's great insight that I think as well um, you mentioned before about the ayahuasca diet mm-hmm. are there like certain foods that are beneficial to avoid like prior to the ayahuasca ceremony yeah so for about they recommend you know anywhere between 10 and 14 days leading up to the ceremony and you could obviously extend that but um it's so it's essentially like no salt no spices no sugar um, no sex, no orgasm, no alcohol, no drugs. And so essentially all you end up eating is chicken, white fish, rice, vegetables, and some fruit. Um, and so, I mean, you know, going into it, I was somewhat skeptical of the need to modify my diet because I already ate uh, really healthy. And, you know, it's, I sort of couldn't wrap my mind around from a nutritional standpoint why I couldn't eat sea salt, for example, which is like a, a pretty beneficial mineral for the body. Yeah. Um, but so, so those things I was sort of skeptical of, but I also realized if I'm going to travel all the way to Peru and embark on this journey, I'm going to respect the local customs because I'm sure they have their reasons, uh, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's great. So Michael, did, did you set an intention prior? Yeah. So I, I um, going down to the jungle, I had an set an intention but then um when i uh one of the guys i met on the trip john who's now a brother to me he um on the first day he asked me he's like what's your intention for this ceremony and i i realized i hadn't uh hadn't come up with one so during um the next couple of days i sort of solidified what i wanted to find out for my first ceremony and it was so my first intention was to find some clarity on my business path 
because as I mentioned, I was the vice president of an advertising agency, which I loved and it was really fun and financially rewarding, work with amazing people and clients, but I knew that there was something more that I wanted and felt that I was supposed to do. Um, I, I felt I could help the world in a better, uh, a more significant way. And, um, and also, I was trying to determine why the startup I was working on at that time, it was called I Wager That. And I was trying to determine whether its lack of success was a fear I needed to overcome. Did I need to push harder and work harder to bring I Wager That to fruition and make it successful? Or was it my intuition telling me that I Wager That wasn't the right fit for me? And, um, and then I had a second intention uh, that was more physically related because I was experiencing discomfort in the left side of my back and I had attributed it to a past athletic injury. Um, I knew there was no longer anything like anatomically wrong with me, but I just felt as though my mind was remembering the injury and expressing symptoms of it. So I wanted to retrain the neuromuscular pathways to uh, alleviate that discomfort. So those were my two intentions going into the first ceremony. I think as well, like setting an intention for a ceremony like maybe a big benefit. I think it's something that in the practice, like you need to practice like prior prior to it. And I think that a lot of time, like, this is something that I practice prior to my meditation as well. And I think that the fact is, like the medicine meets you halfway, and you like must make the effort to ask the questions and interpret interpret the lessons. Totally. Um, yeah, setting an intention. Uh, the notion of doing so was, I, I mean, I had certainly heard of it, but I had never set an intention. Uh, with ceremonial practices prior to ayahuasca and now with virtually everything I do I set an intention whether it's through my meditations or through other psychedelic like experiences whether it's mushrooms or DMT or LSD or ketamine whatever it is I'll set an intention um, which is something that I wouldn't have done uh, prior to ayahuasca um, and yeah, I, I think you're right. It, it helps to frame the experience and navigate it. And also, I mean, your intention doesn't have to be anything so precise. Your intention could simply be to explore. Mm -hmm. mm. Which I think in itself would be a massive, <laughs> that would be huge. Big time, yeah. <laughs> Michael, how did your mindset change after your experience of ayahuasca? <laughs> um, man, Ayahuasca shattered the paradigm of reality in which I formerly operated and showed me something so far beyond my wildest imagination that it it affects my perception of reality and informs you know every decision that I make in my day-to-day -day life. Um it's mm -hmm. totally changed the way that I perceive everything and the way I exist. Well, did you feel afterwards that after your um, ayahuasca experience that it was a complete mindset shift or did it just like leave a seed in your mind which then expanded into a new you? Um, so it, it was a complete mindset shift that in hindsight I realized was a seed that continues to grow and evolve. Wow. Um, but yeah, at the time, like I came out feeling like a, a different person, not in the way that I didn't recognize my former self, but just mm -hmm. that it was... The, like I said, a lot of Westerners call it 30 years worth of psychotherapy in a cup. So it felt as though I had gone through like lifetimes worth of psychotherapy over the course of four days in the jungle during which I had three ceremonies. And, you know, like, for example, when I came out, the notion of fear was abolished. Like I couldn't even I could think of the word fear, but I didn't even know I couldn't feel it inside of me. I didn't know what it. I couldn't even like understand what it meant at that point. Um so, and also this recognition that 
reality is malleable, that, um, you know, the world that exists around us is our creation. And I mean, like Steve Jobs is famous for saying that like reality has an output. So if you input something into it, you're going to receive an output. And that society was created by people no smarter than you or I are. And, um, and it just, it liberates you from the thinking that you need to follow any script. It's just the recognition that you can manifest any reality that you want, because I mean, anything that exists in our world originated in someone's imagination, especially on a physical level. Like if you consider a skyscraper, like that wasn't there at one point and somebody envisioned it, they imagined it in their mind and then they just followed the steps to create it in physical reality. Like the recognition that we are all creator gods of our own universe is a really liberating feeling because then you recognize that you don't need to be subject to, um, you know, let's say society's desires or authority's desires. It's you get to choose how you want to live your life. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so, so like reality is what we see it is really. Mm-hmm, totally. Mm. So you would say that uh, ayahuasca has helped find yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so um, during, I mean, perhaps the one of the biggest revelations that I experienced during my first ceremony was the recognition that I'm supposed to write. And the ayahuasca showed me, she's like, you are a storyteller. You've always wanted to write, like start writing. And I, in my mind, I was communicating with her. I'm like, well, if, if I knew how to make a living out of writing, I'd already be doing it. And she said to me, well, don't, don't worry about making a living. Like you're already financially sound right now and just start writing. Good things will happen. And then in this sort of cosmic wink, Mother Ayahuasca said to me, and I'm giving you a lot to write about. And um, surely she was. And I mean, I can go into more detail about how the experiences are, if you guys like. But um, I mean, yeah, coming out of I realized I need to write a, a book. It's something I've always wanted to do. And that's where Ayahuasca and Executives Enlightenment came from. And so, you know, sort of just overcoming this notion of not writing a book. Like, it's just simply just write it. And so I did that. Um, and then also coming out of the experience, I walked away from the startup that I co-founded because I recognized that it just simply wasn't for me. Um, it, it was a great idea. And what's interesting is that since having left it, it's turned into some, because I'm still an advisor to the company, it's turned into something much more beautiful and philanthropic and something that resonates more deeply with me, but that I'm still not, uh, I'm by no means involved with it full time because it's just still not entirely what I'm passionate about. But, um, you know, coming out of the jungle and coming back to Toronto, I then had this much deeper connection and appreciation for nature and the environment and this desire to want to do something about it. And that led to me becoming a partner in Sun Moon Energy, where we're a clean energy startup developing power generation technologies to take humanity off the grid to both save our species and heal the planet. So, I mean, yeah, it was, it, I definitely found myself um, and I've been meeting just the most incredible people all over the world who like are just so inspiring and it, it just, it truly affects me on a, a daily basis, you know? And I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's radically transformed my life. When I first heard about ayahuasca, I actually came across a video on YouTube I can't uh, remember the person's name, but he was a stockbroker from the U.S., I think, mm-hmm. and he carried out ayahuasca practice, and it had like a huge awakening on him, and he decided to leave his job and put all his savings and uh, open up his own retreat, which at the time I just thought was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely astonishing. Yeah. Brilliant. 
Yeah, it's it's changed a, a lot of people's lives. I mean, just to give you guys an example, like I've since um, recently, I've partnered with, uh, he's like a brother to me, his name's Justin Roy, on a musical movement called Loveolution, which is the evolution of love on the dance floor. And we wow. combine shamanic sound therapy, so like crystal balls and didgeridoos and vocalizations and percussion with the grooviest dance music in the world, like the music that I've been listening to for the last uh-huh. seven years. And we combine those to elicit these transcendent and transformative experiences where we practice the principles of radical inclusion and self-expression, which are borrowed from Burning Man. And um, just, the, I mean... The experiences people have been having are massive. And so we're going to be spreading this movement on a global scale as well. That's our intention with that. And um, and so what's interesting is that the people who are part of Evolution, so there's uh, Justin and his girlfriend, Chrissy, and then we're with this other group called Vibe with the Tribe. And they're a collective of five people who are like Reiki and sound therapy practitioners and yogis and um, incredible musicians. And so the eight of us, we started Evolution together and it's just been growing and growing. And we, we recently realized that all eight of us had drank ayahuasca in the past like year or so, sorry, year and a half. Wow. And, you know, it, it, that's not like a, a prevalent theme. It's not like we're going at Evolution talking all about ayahuasca. Like our goal isn't to get people to drink ayahuasca, but it's just very interesting how that plant medicine brought us all together because she, Mother Ayahuasca, which, you know, that terminology is something I did not think I would be using prior to going down to the jungle, but she actually is perhaps the most intelligent entity I've ever encountered and is working on a level of reality and of consciousness that is beyond most people's everyday waking awareness. Um, so it, it's, it's no coincidence that the eight of us met and then formed this group. Yeah, definitely. I think that the world as well works in magnificent ways that we're like yet to fully understand, which is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Michael, uh, Michael, I heard you mention before that actually ayahuasca actually made you take a step back from like your training with like lifting weights and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Well, so I had already sort of taken that step back when I got into the really dark fatigue um, mm-hmm. and just working with the naturopath because, you know, I, I truly love movement. I had trained with this guy named Ido Portal for those who are familiar and he's just, I mean, as far as I can tell, he's the greatest mover on the planet and one of the best oh, definitely. teachers of just anything. And, um, he really opened my, my mind and my world to what movement is because I used to be really into CrossFit, which, which is great, but, um, um, it just was very limited compared to what I now explore. But then even working with Ido, I became so obsessed with like trying to, achieve a 400 pound squat a one-arm handstand and a Mm one-arm chin up simultaneously and like I wasn't devoting my entire life to movement I was still working like 50 hours a week in an advertising agency and then working on the startup so it was like I had all these goals simultaneously which was just too much and um so yeah so I did step back when consulting with the naturopath and focus more on play and then the ayahuasca further evolved my understanding of movement and showed me even more that it's just like it's even more about play like just enjoy it and uh, what's interesting is, like, I still lift. Um, I don't lift near, as often or as heavy as I used to, but, like, I still see, like, barbell, like, squats and deadlifts as being foundational to my movement routine. But I am also much more explorative. I dance far more. And what's interesting is I'm a far better mover and far stronger and far healthier now that I just have more fun with it compared to the very regimented routine that I used to have. Mm-hmm. 
it was funny it's funny actually because when you mentioned idle portal just before we started this interview um me and me, me and my friend chris were actually just talking about idle portal as well because oh, yeah. we're just listening to a prior podcast so it's weird how the work the world works when you've just mentioned that as well of course no surprise though yeah it's amazing and see actually i went through the same process myself and don't get me wrong i was the worst for it before like when i was tra- i was training every night and i was just lifting weights mm-hmm. and actually now i still do like crossfit session a few times a week yeah but I also like do yoga and I do movement sessions. Mm-hmm. But I've like certainly backed off on the intensity of my CrossFit workouts, if you know what I mean. And like now yeah. I sort of like know how to listen to my body. And I like like you like you said before as well. I feel a lot better for it as well. Yeah, for sure, man. Mm-hmm. So Michael, now your consciousness and self worth must take on an incredible new awakening indeed now, does it? Yeah, um, it's this very deep sense of peace and trust in everything and just feeling completely liberated that I'm able to do whatever I want. And my goal is to infuse humanity and the universe with love and to be love and to share love and to experience love. And I see that as the foundation for my being. And I actually see it as the fabric of our universe, as the creative force behind all things, like behind the Big Bang and all of its predecessors behind Mm -hmm every work of art or like painting, song or piece of literature I see as a, an act of love or, you know, the propagation of our species comes from an act of love through sexual intercourse. And just I, I see love as the fabric of our universe. And thus, I think when you operate from that frequency that um, the world and the universe behaves in very miraculous ways. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like, Michael, I've never just believed that psychedelics can help you find yourself as a person but you do need that whole awakening moment where you can ask yourself the real questions that matter in your life, such as who am I and why am I doing this? Yeah, of course. I mean, like, the, so the shamans I worked with talked about how the real work comes after the ayahuasca ceremonies. You know, like she'll show you a lot about yourself and a lot about reality, but if you don't do anything with it, then it's just knowledge. Um, yeah. So the application is important and... Um, acting upon what you have learned. And, and I agree with you. Um, I, I don't like psychedelics in and of themselves are not the answer, but they can shift the way you think and open your mind to new concepts and they can halt the narratives and the scripts that you've been running in your head that you've been telling yourself about who you are. Cause like so many times people are just going about their, their days almost like a robot like they wake up and they're like oh I have to make my breakfast and I have to go to work and I have to do this after work and you know I have to put the kids to bed and I have to whatever it's all just like these obligations and they're just going through the motions but if you can halt those scripts even just temporarily and recognize like oh like I am the entire universe expressing itself as a human being and thus I am infinitely capable, then you can start to explore the things that you really want to do. It sort of just gives you that reset period where you can examine yourself in a really profound way. And it doesn't necessarily have to come through psychedelics. I mean, some people get to these realizations through meditation, and I use meditation as a daily reminder for those things. Um, But I do think that for those inclined um, and done in a safe set and setting, that psychedelics can be an incredibly powerful tool and that's not to say that they aren't without uh their dangers because just like any tool like i like to use the analogy of a pencil you know you can use a pencil to create beautiful works of art whether it's drawings or writing stories or you can use that same pencil to stab a person 
So mm-hmm. the tools in and of themselves are neutral, but it's how you use them, your intention with it, and your mindset going into it. Mm-hmm. I think as well it can depend on like how far you are with your journey, like if your current journey at the time as well. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, like if you're in a a deep dark state of depression, I don't know that just reaching for a tab of LSD is going to do you much help. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it might. I don't know. Like I I know one of my friends actually who has studied psychotherapy extensively. Um, he was in a deep dark depression. And he actually wrote a book about it called The True Light of Darkness. And it was about how he used psilocybin mushrooms to overcome his own depression. Um, but that was like a very well thought out um, experiment. And he had spent a lot of time studying it. So it, it worked for him. But um, yeah, they're not, uh, they certainly, it certainly does depend where on your journey you are. Yeah, definitely. Michael, how did you um, view life before ayahuasca? Um, I had a, I had a positive outlook on life for sure. Like I was, I was happy yet not entirely fulfilled mm-hmm. with what I was doing, and I hence why I went on that journey. Right, like in hindsight, it was so obviously a journey of self discovery, and even going into it, I, I knew it was, but I just didn't recognize how profound it was. Um, so, I mean, after having come out of Burning Man, I recognized like the true potentiality of humanity and how we can really create whatever we want. But then like the ayahuasca shifted it into even more cosmic sense that, um, that it's really like, we're the whole universe. We're not just like these three dimensional beings, but we're everything. Wow. And, um, so yeah, how I viewed it before, I mean, I still, I thought the world was a, a wonderful place, um, but I just, now I, I see it as even far more wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's certainly an incredible insight in how life can miraculously change from one sense of a scale to another. So, mm-hmm. Michael, how is your diet now constructed after ayahuasca? Are you more in touch with your food now? Yeah, big time. So, I, um, I've been following a, a quote-unquote paleo diet for the last... Um, I guess seven years Um, because I'm 28 now and I started when I was around 21 and um, but prior like what partly contributed to my fatigue I think is the fact that because I was training so much I was I also felt compelled to eat a lot so I was eating like probably 5,000 calories a day and about three to four pounds of meat every day and I just had this notion that I needed to be crushing protein all the time and just eating all this food, and I was eating like big meals, and just, I think it was a ton of digestive stress, and I also used to think that veganism was absurd, like I just thought it was one of the most unhealthy choices that anyone could make, I thought it was like this lack of amino acids and B vitamins, and I just thought it was silly, Um, but then when I had my ayahuasca experience communicating with the ayahuasca, she showed me like, she showed me how veganism works, and that this notion of these B vitamins and amino acids is is a paradigm of nutrition, and it's a paradigm that people operate within, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with objective reality, and that you can transcend all of these notions of needing those things and just uh, treat your body and heal your body in different ways. So I started to understand, like, okay, veganism makes sense. Um, And so coming out of Peru, the amount of food I eat has been 
dwindling ever since. So like Mm -hmm. going from four to 5,000 calories a day to like, I mean, now I probably average it's, uh, I'm guessing like 2000, like it's substantially less and I eat far less meat. Um, Mm -hmm. I still eat it, but it's not even every day anymore. It's probably like five or six times a week. And it might be like half pound to a pound a day versus, you know, three to four pounds every single Uh day. And, um, and I listened to my body a lot more because back then I was sort of doing everything that I thought I should be doing as opposed to just going with the flow and eating intuitively. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, now it's a much more intuitive process. I've been fasting a lot more recently and not like not even necessarily intending to, but just listening to my body and that like, Oh, my digestive system wants a little break and it doesn't need food right now. So I know since this most recent burning man, which has been like, Um, I I got back in mid-September and so it's been about a month and I I think I've had like five fasts that have been over 36 hours whereas prior to this year's Burning Man I had only fasted over 36 hours one time in my life Um, so I'm just listening to my body more and more each and every day Mm. Michael how did you find the fasting Um, how do I find the fasting Mm -hmm. I it's fantastic I mean, it just it just really feels like what my body's supposed to be doing. You know, it's not like I force it. Like if I feel like eating, I'm just going to eat. But mm-hmm. it, so it just it's flowing naturally and I feel uh, clear headed. Um, also, I feel physically much better, like just compared to when I was lifting really heavy, like three times a week and trying to achieve this 400 pound squat amongst other goals I had. I weighed 185 pounds and like I was really lean. Um, Mm -hmm. and now like the last time I weighed myself was like two mornings ago and I woke up at 165. Um, so it's 20 pounds lighter, but I'm in like far more control of my body. Like handstands are much more like handstands are easy. Like I can dance much better because I just like, I feel as though I'm operating more at the weight that my body wants to be at. Mm -hmm. Same with the fasting as well. I've actually tried that myself and I've actually like, what I try to do is I try and break it up as obviously I I've struggled to go to the extent of doing it for a very long period, but I'll see it myself. I'll not eat till two o'clock, if you know what I mean, yeah. and try little things like that, just so, I, so my body sort of gets used to it and I can sort of try and develop a structure where I do for longer, if you know what I mean. Totally. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, like, so I'm talking right now as though it's effortless, but there was a time in my life when I was first introducing fasting where it took a lot of willpower yeah, and it's very hard. it wasn't necessarily enjoyable. I wouldn't say it was unenjoyable, but it wasn't easy. And like even the notion of fasting for like 12 hours was mm-hmm. was tough for me um but yeah so each each i always try to fast for at least 12 hours from like the last meal that i have one day to the first meal i have the next mm-hmm. michael as well it's my knowledge that ayahuasca is like being known for like healing factors yeah in your research and experiences have you like came across any like things that ayahuasca for the healing factors <laughs> oh yeah i mean the thing is is like the scientific understanding of the way that the body and mind work is oftentimes very mechanical. Um, Mm -hmm. It sees the body as like uh, a mechanism, which, I mean, biologically it is, but the ayahuasca shows you how things are operating on a universal level and how you can heal absolutely anything. So like for me, I mean, ayahuasca healed my soul. And um, But then there's other people, like if you guys have ever seen the documentary, The Sacred Science, where they take... Um, it's really good. Um, and I think you can get it for free right now online, but, um, it's, uh, it's about eight people who were taken to the jungle with various conditions ranging from neuroendocrine cancer to prostate cancer, 
to uh, alcoholism, depression, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, breast cancer, and there was an eighth person that I'm just I'm forgetting. But mm-hmm. five of the so all eight went to the jungle to um, to go through plant medicine ceremonies, largely revolving around ayahuasca, and they spent 30 days down there. And eight of or five of the eight were cured of their wow. diseases, right? And then the other ones that weren't, like for example, the woman with the breast cancer cancer she didn't overcome her breast cancer but she felt like a totally different person and she knew how to navigate the rest of her life and she didn't even feel necessarily like the breast cancer was a burden anymore so so you know like if you have breast cancer it's not a burden then like you don't there's nothing wrong with you Hmm. so i mean it helped i think of the eight people there was only one person that like didn't um have a breakthrough of some sort well see i think this that's why these sort of things are so powerful and this is why I love doing things like this because like this sort of conversation needs to be put out there and like people need to hear this and start looking through like all the bullshit in my opinion like at pharmaceutical companies because mm-hmm. in my opinion they can't do jack and I think the reason is like if they give you like a real cure like they, would have, they wouldn't have anyone sick and ultimately that means no profit for them and I'm, I'm sorry to run but it's just the truth. You know? Yeah no I mean so my, my dad's a specialist in internal medicine so I grew up um, with you know the western medical paradigm. Um, on a daily basis. And like, as a little kid, I mean, both my grandpa, both my grandpas, and then my dad were all doctors. And, um, you know, a lot of my teachers growing up thought suggested I was going to be a doctor and this and that. But what's really cool is that um, my dad's very open minded and also recognizes how the pharmaceutical industry works, and that it's very profit driven. And, you know, companies invest billions of dollars into research and development. And then when they have a product that's been FDA approved, well, they have to recoup their investment and make money off it. So they're pushing it. And I mean, you know, medical school curriculums are, and universities are funded by these pharmaceutical companies. So what, what do you think like is going to be taught as the treatment for certain ailments, right? And like the thing about the Western medical paradigm that I find, I mean, it has tremendous advantages, especially for like emergency situations. Um, Western medicine is an absolutely brilliant um, part of our society and I'm so thankful for it but like when it comes to the the quote-unquote diseases that so many people are experiencing or the fatigue and stuff like it's not it's not a pill that's going to cure that for you and taking it on a daily basis like you're just treating symptoms and not the cause where these plant medicines and these ceremonial experiences and meditation can have you fundamentally shift the way you perceive Perceive yourself, the universe, and your relationship with the universe, and can allow you to heal yourself because ultimately, like that's what needs to take place. That's why, like the placebo effect, is so powerful. You know, people will take something thinking that it's going to cure them, and it's just a sugar pill. Like there's no health benefits to it at all, and yet just do that act heals them. So it's clearly within our power to heal anything. And um, so yeah, I I agree with you. <laughs> When you mentioned there about the placebo effect as well, that 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 book I've actually I've read it twice now and it's actually fantastic and I'd actually recommend that every single human being on this planet. Cool, yeah, I haven't That's, read it, but I, oh, I like you know, <laughs> oh, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's by uh, Dr. Joe DeSena, and honestly, it's one of the best books I've ever read in my life. Awesome. It's like when you touch there on uh, modern medicine, and uh, it's like ayahuasca is a drug, and in the Western sense, drugs are there to get rid of something, mm-hmm. and that is the conventional sense of modern medicine, whereas ayahuasca is there more likely to present a wider perspective on life, sure. and, to exp- 
and it'll expand your body into a realm of existence you didn't believe was there. And that is where the true sense of healing becomes reality. Absolutely, man. And what's really cool is like I know a number of doctors who advocate plant medicines and ayahuasca. And one thing that's really cool is like, for example, when I came back from Peru, I started telling my dad about my ayahuasca experiences. And, you know, like when I had been speaking with anybody else, it was a three hour conversation whereby the other person was fascinated and like they just wanted to hear more and more. I got like four minutes into the conversation with my dad and I'm just like, uh, I don't even know if you want to hear about the rest of this. And so he was sort of like really dismissive of my experiences initially, but over the span of the last, uh, I guess it's been 20 months since that time, like he and I have had many conversations. I've shown him films like Neurons to Nirvana, given him a book called The Cosmic Serpent, which are these like scientific and anthropological investigations of ayahuasca and plant medicines. And like, you know, there are quote unquote authority figures in these works where I mean, they lend credibility to the study of these things. Um, and, and, you know, so one of my dad's um, patients who had been suffering from Crohn's disease his entire life, and my dad didn't really know how to help him. My dad's helped a number of people with Crohn's, but, like, hasn't, wasn't able to help this guy. This guy went over to Amsterdam and had one magic mushroom ceremony and cured a lifelong problem that he had been dealing with. So then when my dad saw that, he's like, okay, like my son's telling me all this. I'm seeing it firsthand. Like, obviously there's something to these plant medicines. And I mean, he's not at the point yet where he's telling people to go have these ceremonies. And I don't know if he ever will be, but he sees that there is something going on here. And I know a whole variety of other doctors, uh, both young and older, who advocate um, these types of experience. A lot of psychotherapists who advocate these types of things, like, it's, uh, it's becoming increasingly understood that there is tremendous value uh, with these plant medicines. Mm -hmm. I think as well there's a lot of like publication bias as well in the industry and I think a lot of doctors out there like really want to make a difference but I think like they're struggling to get the real good information out there. Of course. I mean, well, because like data can be manipulated any way you want, right? So I know growing up my dad used to show me um, these studies of statins, so like cholesterol lowering drugs. Mm -hmm. And th that's a massive industry. But yeah. and he, he told me, he's like, the data is manipulated in these studies to make it look as though these cholesterol-lowering drugs are actually beneficial. But if you look at the, at the raw data, what it shows is that these drugs lower your cholesterol score, but that that has no, absolutely zero correlation to your overall health. So mm -hmm. it's like they've invented a measurement that is inconsequential to your health just so you can lower it, but, but it's like now all you're doing is putting a pill into your body and it doesn't contribute to your health. And like, whereas my dad's notion is that like the physiology of our body is so far beyond human comprehension that for the most part it does, like you need to let it heal itself. And what he tries to do is provide yeah, scenarios where then the body can heal itself. So like he's still obviously like he's a doctor, he prescribes pharmaceuticals and stuff, but he says like a lot of times since he's a specialist, by the time he sees a patient, they've seen, let's say like eight different doctors and they're on 15 different medications and my dad's first step of course of action is to say okay like let's stop taking everything and see how you feel in three or four weeks and then we'll go from there yeah definitely michael is there any danger in expanding your consciousness through psychedelics and ayahuasca um apparently there is yeah so i haven't encountered it firsthand but just very interestingly this uh uh, was it this past weekend? Yeah, this past weekend, 
um, I met um, a, a good friend of mine and he and his brother drank ayahuasca and like he's for him it was a consciousness expanding experience for his brother ever since that time he ba- he hasn't been himself um uh-huh. and like he also did i think like eight ayahuasca ceremonies over the course of 10 days or something which yeah. is like for, to me it's really extreme um but then again uh-huh. there are shamans who drink it four nights a week of course though they they have the experience right and um I also am not sure of what this guy's mindset was like going into it, like what sort of issues he was dealing with prior to. Um, but that is something for people to be aware of. And um, what's interesting, I'm just going to call him John for the sake of this conversation because I don't want to reveal his name. But um, I was so so I was speaking with John. It's It's John's brother who is in the state of like, not being himself anymore, but I was speaking with John about, you know, do you think that your brother's going to overcome this experience and this turmoil that he's currently facing? And John's like, yeah, I, I do at some point think he's going to get out of it. And what's really interesting about ayahuasca is that the, ex- the experiences themselves with the plant medicine are not necessarily enjoyable. I had three ceremonies. Two of them were very enjoyable. Um, it, each, though, did have some dark moments. And then the second of the three ceremonies was really dark and enduring, um, borderline, like, it was, it was really uncomfortable. And I was questioning why the hell I was in Peru. What am I doing? Like, what, what am I, like, how am I in the jungle? Like, what the fuck is going on right now? <laughs> and, um, but that was one of the most teaching experiences of my life, right? Like, I processed and dealt with a lot of demons and like a lot of things that I struggled with on a very deep level that I had been suppressing. Like I didn't even know I was, you know, suppressing them. And so, and so coming out the other side, it was a very beneficial experience. So what I was interested in asking John about his brother was like, you know, maybe like, I don't know how long it's going to take, but let's say four five, six years down the road, like your brother's probably going to come out the other side being like this enlightened Zen master or something. Cause all he's doing is all he can do right now is meditate. Like that's the only thing he enjoys. And, yeah. um, and then John's like, yeah, like that, that could be the case. And I hope it is. And if that is what happens, I mean, the guy's likely going to attribute ayahuasca to being one of the most profound and healing experiences of his life. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's like everyone's journey is different. And as humans, we like to perceive the fact, you know, we exist as like as for 90 years in these physical bodies. But if you start understanding yourself as a cosmic energy that has existed forever and will continue to exist forever, then like a six year journey of darkness isn't all that long in the grand scheme of things. And if it allows you to come to tons and tons of revelations, then it can end up being the most beneficial thing you've ever gone through. Um, Mm -hmm. So for the most part, like, I mean, virtually everyone I've encountered other than that one person has had an incredibly uplifting and life-changing experience. And then I've met some people who was like, yeah, it was cool. It was interesting. And like, it wasn't that profound for them. So it's a, it's a whole spectrum of things, right? Like, it's just like that pencil analogy earlier. Like some people are going to use it and create brilliance and other people are going to use it to create harm or just they're not going to use it at all. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like coming into it with a positive or negative energy and that definitely play a huge role in the whole experience of ayahuasca, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. And also researching your shamans and going with people that you trust. Um, because I have heard of like situations down in Peru where um, 
there's shamans who aren't who don't necessarily have the best of intentions and like might be using it for sexual gain for example because you know beautiful women will come down and they're in this like psychedelic scenario and like it could be easy for them to manipulate or take advantage um and i mean i don't mean to say these things to scare people but just to be aware of them and to do the research like the people who i went to peru with are like a brother and sister to me their names are dan and tatiana and they run a company called pulse tours and i mean i recommend them to absolutely everyone because their intentions Mm -hmm. are pure and they work with local shamans who have decades of experience and they work with the local people down there who built and maintain their ayahuasca retreat center that's situated right on the Amazon River. And it's really a tremendous benefit to the environment and the local economies down there. And all the people are wonderful. So like, and there's a lot, it's not just Pulse Tours that's doing this. Like there are a number of wonderful places that truly want to help people and facilitate these life-changing experiences. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, would you just like to delve into the experience of self-transcendence? Sure. Has, has this changed the way you perceive the universe and the way you perceive yourself as part of the universe? Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, it it made me realize like our connectivity with energies and entities of other dimensions that we're not perceiving in the third dimension with our eyes on a day-to-day basis, um, and that like. So I perceive all of time as happening at once, the same way that, let's say, Los Angeles and London, England exist simultaneously. So too do the years 1 million AD and 1 million BC. Um, But it's simply through our human perspective that we see things in this uh, linear sequential Mm -hmm. manner. But like one thing I like to consider is the notion of invention. Um, When we come up with something like let's say an idea like I like to use the analogy of a boomerang like prior to a boomerang having existed how the hell did somebody think like I am gonna make a device that I throw into the air and it comes back to me like prior to it having existed like where does that idea come from to me it seems to come from the future and that you then it's in your mind and you just trust like okay I'm just gonna follow these steps to achieve that reality or like another story is lucky palmer the guy who invented oculus rift the virtual reality um headset have you guys heard of it yeah i've heard of it it's uh it's sounds very uh it sounds very complex and uh very hard to understand but it's it's sort of like delves you in a new realm of um of what you're seeing doesn't it yeah i mean people throw in this virtual reality headset And it's so immersive and realistic that they forget that they're in a virtual reality. Yeah, it feels like they've taken control of the body, doesn't it? Yeah. And so the reason I bring this up, though, is because as a kid, um, uh, Lucky Palmer, his parents didn't put him in school. And they were just like, we just want you to pursue your passions. And um, so he became really interested in virtual reality. And he started... um, like watching so many films and reading comic books and playing video games and all this. And he was convinced that legitimate virtual reality headsets existed because he was reading all about them in stories. So he just thought, okay, when I'm older and I have enough money, I'm just going to buy one of these things. And um, by the time he got to 13, the age of 13, he saved up enough money and he bought a virtual reality headset. And when he started using it, he's like, oh, like this thing sucks. Like it's not at all virtual reality. Like I know I'm like just playing some game. And then he started doing more and more research and getting all these different virtual reality prototypes. 
and he was just like, oh, like this isn't what it was supposed to be. And because he had this notion in his head from a young age that virtual reality existed, like he believed it so strongly that it existed, and yet what he was experiencing wasn't confirming that um, expectation. He just then decided to get all these different VR prototypes. He found a chief technology officer through Reddit, and then they started combining these things and building their own. And eventually they created a virtual reality that is so convincing that people think it's this reality. And that's simply because he had the mindset that it already existed. Wow. And so it's like the same with any invention, you know, like we can create anything because if you look around you, like, I mean, the three of us are talking despite the fact that you're in the UK and I'm in Toronto mm -hmm. and the, we've transcended the limitations of physical geography and of the third dimension and we're thus able to have a conversation in real time. Yeah. That's an incredible way to, to, view, it, uh, to view it really, isn't it? Yeah. Where some people would just view it as like, oh, I'm having a conversation on, through the computer. No. But where you actually see the whole workings of it. It's fucking magic. And, <laughs> like, it's yeah. incredible. It's absolutely incredible how it's we amazing. can speak to you right now. You're in Los Angeles. We're in, and we're not, we're not actually speaking through the entire universe. We're just, we're, we're technically we are speaking through the entire universe. <laughs> yeah. That's what's yeah. incredible about the whole, the whole thing right now. Yeah, I like to think about my grandma, for example. She's 95. And she was born into a world where nobody was driving cars. Like, the reality then is radically different than what it is today. Mm -hmm. oh, like, yeah. nobody had a car, and now we're talking about, like, flying to Mars. And Elon Musk <laughs> is talking about colonizing Mars. Like, everything we do today was at one time impossible. The notion of us having this conversation to somebody 200 years ago is, is batshit crazy. It's just yeah. like, no, like, what, what are you talking about? That can't happen. And now we take it for granted. Like most people, like you're saying, don't even think it's special. Yeah. And so, I mean, it just, all of these things suggest that we are the creator gods of the universe and we can achieve anything that we, that we can imagine. Wow, definitely. Michael, um, speaking on behalf of both of us, we actually both haven't experienced ayahuasca, but it's something that we both wish to explore. Mm. But if you could recommend like a novice, what advice would you give them? Um, so I would recommend doing the research, going with someone that you trust. Um, for you guys in particular, like I would just say go with my friends because they're amazing people and you can trust them. Um, and to follow the diet for like at least two weeks leading up to it. Um, book the time off so that you can allow yourself to just fully explore and don't impose any obligations like immediately following your trip down to Peru. So give your, like leave yourself like a week when you come back that you don't really have anything too pressing to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, I really recommend being as, as healthy as you po uh, possibly can. So like, you know, move, daily movement practices, daily meditation practices, having a positive disposition, um, I think are the, most important things because one of the things that the ayahuasca will do is it will purge negative energy from you and uh, oftentimes in the form of like diarrhea or vomit I mean people will fast leading up to ceremony and then they'll vomit out a thick black sludge that they recognize as fear or as like wow. a suppressed childhood memory that they didn't even know about like there's many accounts of people who have been uh, sexually abused when they were children and had completely suppressed that memory and then they vomit out that memory and so they can like deal with it and process it and overcome it. And um, so I think if you if you're healthy and you're meditating and have a positive disposition, then that is an act whereby you're already processing the negative energy inside of you. So it will allow 
um, you won't have to go through as much of that in the ayahuasca ceremony. And then you can go more into like the consciousness expanding and um, the more explorative realms of it. Um, so that, yeah, that's, that's the advice. Just like follow the diet, meditate, move, live healthy and be happy that you're going on this journey. Mm-hmm. Well, Michael, you've just delivered us a great insight on life and exploring life. It's been absolutely incredible. So on that note, where can people find you and what are you currently working on? Um, so I'm working on my website, but um, people can, the e- easiest place to find me right now is facebook.com slash author Michael Sanders. Um, and then also uh, if you go on Facebook and search uh, Lovolution Community, you can find me there as well. Um, and yeah, what I'm currently working on, so I'm working on Lovolution, as I mentioned, the evolution of love on the dance floor. So we're spreading that. Uh, we have an event on October 30th. And then we're planning to go to, uh, so I'm actually in Toronto, Canada, and we're planning to go down to California after that um, with Lovolution. And I'm also, as I mentioned, a partner in Sun Moon Energy. So we're working um, to bring our technologies to commercialization. And we have some really interesting opportunities in both Guyana in South America, in Ghana in Africa, and trying to um, help the people there with um, their energy solutions because they they currently have so many uh, blackouts that their energy is just completely unreliable. Um, so implementing clean energy strategies there, which is also an incredible opportunity because um, you know the developed world has a lot of infrastructure in place. Like Canada and the U.S. are so reliant on the oil industry um, and have a lot of money behind it. So it's probably gonna it might take a bit more time for the evolution to occur whereby we're using clean energy on a a more massive scale, but in these developing nations, like they have to jump straight to clean energy because they can't afford the infrastructure for oil. So it's, it's really cool in that sense. So there's Lovolution, Sun, Moon Energy, and then I'm also working on my second book, which is called Lovolution, Burning Man, Psychedelics, and the Evolution of Love. Wow. Michael, thank you so much for being an incredible guest on the Beastify podcast. And I would just like to say as well, you're an absolute incredible human being. Thank you so much for being a great guest. Uh, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it of uh, you guys having me, and you're both amazing people as well. So thank you. And thank you thank to everyone you. listening. Thank, thank you. you, Michael.
so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review on iTunes as it really helps the show. And don't forget to head over to the show notes at beastified.com. Hey everyone, and check out our weekly challenge set by the guests themselves. And also don't forget to check out the bonus questions we ask the guests after the show. In the meantime, stay healthy. Thank you.